0: Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad.
1: When I started the page, I was just kind of asking my friends in banking who majored in finance and worked in internships to send me anecdotes and they did. And then three posts in, you know, women started sharing their stories and they were so brave and so vulnerable. And for the first time since I was 17, I didn't feel as alone as I usually did. And it was such an interesting, raw feeling to have gone through something at a young age, been traumatized by it, and then to realize that it happens so, so, so often. Um, when I started the page, I actually still wanted to go into banking. So part of me wanted to use it to network. But then, you know, as I talked to more women, I felt the need to put out their stories and be that voice more than anything.
0: All of 21, she has already been called the Carrie Bradshaw of finance. Re Sharma the brains behind social media phenom Wall Street Confessions on her personal journey versus the siren song of investment banking, junior banker human rights and mental health, and the traumas that go with being a woman on Wall Street. Stay with us. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon & Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salomon and Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR One, Spotify, and Apple at linkfulldradio.com. Please subscribe, rate us, and recommend the show to others. And follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FullDRadio. Joining me from a secure, undisclosed location on the island of Manhattan is Ree Sharma. She is the brains behind Wall Street Confessions. This is all the rage on Instagram. It's where you can go to see these posts about the vagaries of of the iBanking hustle. Uh, you were previously in college, but this account, I think what last year took over your life so much that you you left college to run it full-time?
1: Yeah. So I was in college recruiting for investment banking and Wall Street Confessions took off. And I thought, why not just drop out and be an entrepreneur and a founder?
0: How much of college did you have left?
1: I had three and a half years. I kind of messed up during my sophomore year. And um, I remember I was 20 and I was sitting there in like my Midtown East building. And I was like, do I really want to do this for like another three and a half years?
0: Wow. Well, you've been called the Carrie Bradshaw of finance. I mean, there are all sorts of posts, people who look to this, and I was in investment management. I nominally had a Wall Street job after college, and I wish outside of therapy that there was a, a bulletin board or something where I can post these things. I, I look at it, and you know, when I was an analyst in Midtown, dating someone in the financial district felt like a long-distance relationship. So there are, there are cheeky things like that, but then you see more poignant posts. Like when I was an associate at a consulting firm, I was asked to participate in a meeting because it was, quote, all male, and they needed me to make the room quote prettier. I asked to read up before going in so I can at least try to contribute, but was just told to put on heels and leave my blazer in my seat. I mean, these are i, I gotta I gotta walk it back a little. What is the appeal? of this place to the kind of the 18, 19, 20-year-old mind that your generation was born well after Gordon Gekko and that famous quote in Wall Street in 1987, and yet it still draws all of these people who don't quite know what they want to do with their lives in their 20s.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I've always thought that money makes the world go round. When I was 16, I picked up a copy of Investment Banking for Dummies and I was like, wow, mergers and acquisitions are so cool. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a banker. And then I wouldn't shut up about it until I got to college and I started recruiting. I think the, a lot of the appeal is just being in on what's seen as like exclusive or interesting or what's making a lot of the things happen that influence everything, really.
0: But why why banking? I mean, there's a And then I, I go back to myself and I go back to mm-hmm. my college class and everybody in 1998 Like if you're not going to law school, you're not going to med school, you're not going to teach for America or the Peace Corps. There's always investment banking. I mean, do people realize outside of it how much grunt work is entailed immediately? You're not doing anything fancy. You're effectively at the beck and call of a managing director and slapping together pitch books and PowerPoint presentations and tweaking Excel spreadsheets, sometimes for what, upwards of 90, 100 hours a week.
1: Yeah. I mean, so when I was in college, something that was very popular was like the typical finance meme account. And all of my friends and I would follow liquidity and not your father's broker and finance God. And I always thought banking was like my first step to getting into private equity and then a hedge fund. And then, you know, I thought I'd be a powerful woman at like 40 or whatever. Um, But something that really got me and a lot of people even more enamored with the idea of working in finance was seeing these pages post about like jewel pods and Patagonia vests and Gucci loafers and having money and like models and bottles. So I definitely think that financial influencers had kind of a play on not just me, but many people that have wanted to go into banking.
0: Now, here's the thing with this year, there was a tremendous amount of consternation, which you covered over. That uh, that short live declaration of independence by these Goldman Sachs Jr. bankers, that they actually put out a presentation that was released and leaked out and kind of how you can improve our lives and how we can be more productive and how you can spare us the misery of of not knowing if we have a weekend or anything because a senior banker suddenly sends you that dreaded email at you know, 9.30, 10 p.m. on a Friday, you're really on the leash of the higher-ups. And now you fast forward to July in the summer of 2021 and blowout earnings from Goldman Sachs. It says, this New York Post story, higher-ups at Goldman Sachs are reportedly locked in a fierce debate over whether to cough up some more compensation for junior staffers, even as rival banks' high-pay packages in response to complaints of sweatshop-like working conditions. Some top managers at Goldman fret they'll lose talent to competitors like JP Morgan, which last month hiked salaries for first-year bankers from 85 grand to 100 grand, or overseas banks like UBS, which are allowing employees to work from home at least part-time, according to the Financial Times. You know, Ree, there's this school of thought, and I'm sure you've followed it a lot, that said that you know what you bought into at this point. It's a very privileged position for somebody to be making six figures pre- or post-bonus right out of college. So, you know, it's is like going into the military. You're going to have boot camp and you're effectively signing your life away in these circumstances. Do you do you buy that?
1: Um, I think in many ways I used to when I was recruiting and when I was in college. I always kind of knew that even though you could buy yourself a lot of things for a 23 year old with a banker's salary, you would be on the desk for a long time. And I would read forums like Wall Street Oasis and I would buy into it. But now you know, communicating with so many people on Wall Street Confessions, I don't really buy into it. I think banks should be doing better for their junior employees so they can actually keep them around.
0: You know, I see another post here says, when I told my managing director I was spending Saturday going to a food tasting ahead of my wedding, he responded, I didn't go to mine, but sure, go ahead. That's one microaggression. And, uh, this other post adjacent to it says, I'm scared of going back to the office. I'm scared that I will be depressed because I love working from home. I don't want to see my coworkers, not because I'm scared of COVID, just simply because I love to wake up 10 minutes before my morning call and listen in while I'm in my PJs. And once I'm done, I just shut down my computer and head downstairs for dinner. Uh, this is certainly an overhang for everyone, but this is the this is the the, the, the strange thing about it, Re is that these banks had a record year in large part because markets have been roaring. We're at a record stock market. You see all of these SPACs and IPO deals and tech has been hot. And by and large, they were able to do this with remote work, but they're pushing back aggressively when these bankers are suggesting, let us keep posting remotely or at least do it in hybrid terms.
1: So I think it's definitely something to do with the culture of being in the office, being able to kind of shoot the and be around your coworkers. Part of me wonders if there's something to do with micromanaging. That's something I used to hear a lot about before the pandemic. I've heard about it throughout, but not as much. I definitely think that there's a cultural shift going on, and Wall Street is kind of confused as to how to address it. Because you have 50% of the junior analysts going, well, yeah, I don't want to work from home anymore. I'm miserable in like my Murray Hill flex bedroom. And then you have the other 50% being like, oh, I have it made. Why, why would I ever leave my apartment?
0: Now, here's the problem we have seen with that Goldman example and with others is not like mm-hmm. a vice president or a managing director is going to turn around and really run this up the flagpole to the partnership and say, look, we have a bona fide HR crisis on our hands. If we keep burning out 20, 21, 22 year olds, you can't just expect new ones to come in and you have to retrain them and their frictional costs and there's a there's a delay. This is a true risk to business. But you know what? There's been some spirit of that for decades. You know, Law firms have complained about the same things. There was the famous Clifford Chance memo 20 years ago where you attempt kind of a revolt for human rights, but it somewhat falls on deaf ears because the rest of the population cannot empathize with people earning, what, six figures and complaining about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, no matter how much money you have, mental health is extremely important. And I've noticed something in my comment sections where people say that anyone can just quit. They're getting paid silly amounts of money to do X, Y, Z or to do like PowerPoints. But at the end of the day, it's what's in someone's head. And if someone's just not happy and their mental real estate is being taken up by something that's paining them so deeply, um, it really begs the question of how we can make things better for them and... I would look at it as it's not just the Goldman Sachs 13, you know, the 13 people who put the deck together. It's an overarching sentiment that a lot of people on Wall Street don't want to pay attention to, or don't really know how to pay attention to, because it also plays into the boys club culture, where it's like, be a man, get over it, do the thing. But I think something has to change.
0: You know, I'm continuing on that they're called, I guess, the Goldman Sachs 13, right? In March, a leaked a leaked slideshow, I'm quoting the New York Post, in March, a leaked slideshow presentation compiled by 13 junior Goldman analysts detailed complaints about 100-hour work weeks, some griped of shifts as long as 20 hours that left them little time to eat, sleep, or shower, claiming that the grind was damaging their physical and mental health. Some execs stress the competition for analysts have become heated, and they need to make the firm palatable to young talent, according to the Financial Times. Other senior Goldman bankers, however, say hiking pay sets a president for the bank to raise salaries every year, even when their earnings disappoint. The latter contend that bonuses are a better way to compensate staff since they are awarded based on performance and that the bank's reputation should be enough to entice talent, the report said. Here's the quote to the FT. We should not participate in this game of moving salaries up and down every few months, one Goldman banker told the FT. If you behave like that, you simply end up with mercenaries. We pay at the end of year for performance. Help me break this cycle, Re. Are they just short-staffed? Is it the amount of density of work to specific junior bankers that's ridiculous? Or is it the reverberation maybe of FaceTime where you're trying to, like, listen, I know I'm in this. I don't want to let you down. I want you to promote me. I want you to write my letter for business school. Um, so I, I kind of self-edit, or I, I won't participate in this if I'm a junior banker. I'm not mm-hmm. going to let you down, MD. Let's just keep this perpetuating.
1: I think it's a combination of all three. People want to stay in the cycle because they think they can get out of it. From what I've heard, a lot of analysts seem to think that things can be solved if the banks weren't short-staffed and if they weren't overworked or if they didn't have a million things to do. And I also think, to your point, or like, to the New York Post point and the Goldman Bankers point, bonuses aren't enough. I think people need wellness stipends, whether that's You know, a class pass, an equinox, even just like a learning thing. Go get yourself a master class membership and do some personal development. Work from home should be a lot more bearable than it is. And if you are expected to work 80 to 90 hours a week, you should have supports in place. And I think a lot of that is also opening up the conversation around going to therapy. A lot of these people don't go to therapy. And it's sad that it's not widely accepted and kind of pushed out.
0: Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Ree Sharma. She is the brains behind Wall Street Confession. It's now more than 110,000 followers strong on Instagram. It's where people go to post semi-anonymous piece about the, you know, the highs and many, many lows of working on Wall Street. That account, uh, reads for boasts some high-profile followers, including the CEO of the investment bank, Jeffries, uh, Rich Handler, who comments on many of your posts. How does that make you feel? I mean, you've definitely crossed over into official dumb, where, especially when you came out to Forbes and Business Insider, people could theoretically recognize you in Manhattan now.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's very surreal. Uh, I remember the first few times Rich Handler commented on something I posted, I freaked out. But now I kind of just look at it as like, oh, yeah, Rich is chiming in, which is great. And he's such a kind person. And as far as getting recognized goes, that happens. Quite often, especially on dating apps, can't really be left alone, but uh I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: I'm quoting from another post on Wall Street Confessions. Somebody wrote in and said, During sophomore year I did an internship in research and my analyst invited me to dinner for the end of my internship. I thought it was a courtesy for making me do absolute work. He tried to get me drunk. I was under 21. And then he brought me back to his place and tried to make out with me. He wasn't single, and I brought that up, and he explained that, quote, he already took into account the risks of coming on to me. Yikes. I'm quoting from Forbes that interviewed you and said, at the heart of of your mission is your own experience, having been the victim of sexual aggression when you were just 17 years old. It was scary and isolating, you said, of the experience. And when you started this Instagram Account and all levity aside, you notice that people were, you know, this this locker room frat boy boom boom room culture of of kind of you know uh, the the wolf of wall what is it the wolf of Wall Street and and what we saw in much of the nineteen eighties and much of the nineteen seventies persists.
1: Uh yeah. So when I started the page, I was just kind of asking my friends in banking or who majored in finance and worked in internships to send me anecdotes, and they did, and then three posts in, you know, women started sharing their stories, and they were so brave and so vulnerable. And for the first time, since I was 17, I didn't feel as alone as I usually did. And it was such an interesting, raw feeling to have gone through something at a young age, been traumatized by it, and then to realize that it happens so, so, so often. Um, when I started the page, I actually still wanted to go into banking. So part of me wanted to use it to network. But then, you know, as I talked to more women, I felt the need to put out their stories and be that voice more than anything.
0: What is it, re? it's almost atavistic about money, big stakes in lower Manhattan, sexual harassment, very high rate of divorce. I mean, it seems like it seems like a caricature, but it persists into these cultures. And I I worked at an investment bank, and I remember things that would happen for all of the pedigree and for recruiting at Ivy League schools, and and uh, talk of culture and HR training seminars and everything else that you still have this kind of base behavior persist.
1: Yeah, um, I don't quite know why people are so miserable and why there's kind of a failure to launch with people getting into relationships and working in banking um and that's just of course from my own personal experiences and some friends who work in banking and are going through their own things but i, I definitely think that you know people get money and they change and they grow and that affects people around them
0: let me ask you at the very basic skill set why i this i struggle with this question Part of me wonders if a lot of these investment banks just open up on-site printing and design operations because you're out there recruiting very expensive pedigreed students often, and you you do these highfaluting presentations about culture and teamwork, and uh, some of these banks still ask for SAT scores, and you bring them in. And most of the time, I hear that you're still tweaking pitch books and Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations. And I mean, Again, isn't this more of a kind of a vocational thing? Do you really need people who majored in great things and wrote amazing dissertations and and did projects and were salutatorians to slap together pitch books? Am I missing something? Is there something more kind of high-end, high-minded at at what you're recruiting at, 22 years old for Wall Street?
1: I think it feels high-minded because if you're doing an M&A deal with two of the biggest companies, You would ideally want the greatest minds or, shall I quote, unsuccessfully, the smartest people in the room. Yeah, I think, though, that banks should be a little more lenient with their recruiting and they should go to different schools. I mean, personally, I remember when I was in college, I went to like a non-target that wasn't known at all. And I would just message people's executive assistants and be like, hey, like, would love to chat. There's so much gatekeeping around it. Um, and I think banks have to realize that there are capable people everywhere.
0: But okay, it's one thing if you're trying to hire a quant or a person mm-hmm. you could develop into a kind of a you know hedge fund master of the universe. It's again, it's another thing. Yes, I know they're you know I, I spoke to an editor of an MBA publication and said they're buying the brand, they're buying the pre-screening that some of these schools did. But I thought when I was part of it that it's cynical in that. You recruited us for all of these aspects and these merits, and again, we're just slapping together pitch books and waiting for an MD to contact us late at night and say, can you go in and tweak this number? Can you do this? It's not the analyst that's determining the number or the free cash flow valuation of an MA target. They're just doing, again, Kinko's work, design mm-hmm. work. It's very kind of vocational tech.
1: I would agree with the theory that some banks do buy branding when they go to Ivy League schools. And having not interned in investment banking, I can't really speak to so much of the day to day, but I could see the point of view that you're coming from.
0: It says the Forbes piece, the whole experience you had has led to some surreal moments of quasi-fame. At a recent birthday party in Brooklyn, somebody walked up to you and asked, are you Wall Street confessions before praising your work? Again, this is kind of becoming borderline sex in the city, right? Carrie Bradshaw type moment or- you're writing these dispatches. You initially had interest in kind of networking your way to use this as a cocktail Mm -hmm. party talking point. And now it's kind of, you know, it's art imitated life so much that you've become this phenomenon unto yourself.
1: Yeah, so getting recognized consistently happens. I can't really get away from it anymore, but I'm quite happy that people know who the woman behind Wall Street Confessions is, mostly because I remember when I started the page, people thought I was like a 30-year-old man working in banking, Um, and I know I can come off as quite dry or have like kind of a mean sense of humor sometimes, but I wanted people to know that it's a woman and to feel like the page has been humanized, but, um, always surreal. And I, I've been on dates and I've been in relationships where it's just been very implicit and it's been said, literally, please never write about me. Don't want anything out there. Um,
0: (laughs) and you'd be like, Hey, let me turn off my recorder. Just a joke. (laughs) I'm quoting a late 2019 post on Wall Street Confessions. The burnout is real. I've thought about going to a shrink, but my insurance won't cover it. So I just drink because my firm pays for that, the anonymous post read. You mentioned it earlier, but this talk of mental health, you see people like Ariana Huffington and, and various celebrities and others talking about it. But there has to be a reckoning where people stop using euphemisms on Wall Street at the big consulting firms and realizing that this is a true threat to productivity and business, and and uh, the, the the overall uh, longevity of the firm. I can tell you anecdotally that these uh, these attorneys who are on partnership tracks tell me that you know they left the careers. They said the only thing they missed, cynically, were the mental, the generous mental health benefits of working at these bulge bracket law firms because you had a partner or two who was experiencing it herself and realized that we need to have this out there to kind of mitigate the pain and the stress of of billing, whatever, 2400 hours a year.
1: Yeah, so I've gotten people sending things in about feeling really guilty for having doctor's appointments or for having therapy. And I think it's so wrong. I'm a big believer in therapy. I go to it. I live by it. Um, I think everyone should have a therapist. It's kind of sad that people don't think they can get one or don't think that they have time in the day to just go and see someone and talk for like 30 minutes to an hour.
0: Ria, uh, what was the breaking point where you said, like, I don't need to do this? I don't aspire to do this anymore. I can kind of wear my head high and, and do something purely entrepreneurial.
1: Yeah. So last year, I quit one of my internships working for this, like, San Francisco startup. And I was unemployed for a month. And my manager... And agent now, Brian Hanley, who's the CEO of a talent incubator called Bullish Studio, was selling ads for a brokerage. And one of my finance meme friends was like, yeah, you should message him. And I kind of needed the money. So I messaged him and I was like, hey, like I know you're selling swipe up ads, would love to be included. My followers are hiring individuals who work on Wall Street, perfect fit. And then I said, by the way, are you hiring? You could use some help with your Instagram And Brian hired me within like the next one to two days. It was amazing. And then after a few months of working at Bullish and after shaping Wall Street Confessions with his help, he's been such a mentor, I realized that I could turn this into a brand and into a business. And my skill set kind of goes above and beyond sitting in school. Like I just realized it wasn't for me and I love just being on the ground running.
0: So in this overture that you made to Brian, are you effectively bartering social media services for agency? He's managing you? He's promoting you?
1: So for a while, I worked for him in business development, and he was also managing me. Um, I recently quit working there, but he does still manage me.
0: Hmm. Full disclosure, stay with us. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR One, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts at linkfulldradio.com. Please follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Full D Radio. If you're just joining us, we are talking to Ree Sharma. She is the brains behind the wildly successful and popular Instagram account. It's actually all over social media, Wall Street Confessions. She's been called the Carrie Bradshaw of finance. I might call this episode Stocks in the City I have to ask you, okay, you're the daughter of Indian immigrants. How do you turn around and justify this to them and say, look, mom, dad, it's working. I didn't have to go to medical school. I didn't have to go and work at an investment bank.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's something I still struggle with, actually. They called me the other day, and um, I was FaceTiming them, and my mother said, so when are you going back to school? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going back to school, mom. I make like undisclosed amount a year, and- <laughs> She was like, no, 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 like, that's fine. But like, you should go back to school. And I was like, okay, like, get my dad. So my dad comes on to FaceTime and he's like, you'll go back in like two years. You know, people change their mind all the time. So I'm still in this weird place with them where it's like, they think I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to be a banker or I'm going to do something. And I guess I'm still just kind of proving to them that it can work.
0: I have a quote from Wall Street Confessions on Instagram which is Wall Street Confessions. I'm a woman in the industry. I sometimes feel like it would have been easier if I didn't pursue a male dominated industry. It would be easier for me to just agree to the status quo and pursue a more quote feminine career path, get married, have kids, etc. But I always wanted to see all that the world has to offer not to women but to men. I want to see this for myself and get wealthy. I wish I could settle. I wish we didn't choose a path where I was doomed from the very beginning. You know, this gets talked a lot about in business schools where some really accomplished executives come back later in career and said that it was kind of transactional. I had to trade my 20s and my 30s and I had to bring in a nanny or someone else to raise my kids because there's just no way if you consider childbearing, the early childhood education and everything else, all the drains on a mother. Particularly, that you can successfully be on a managing director track or a partner track. A lot of these firms pay lip service to work life balance, and where one of these firms is consistently rated a top place for working mothers. But in the end, you really have to choose one or the other.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that women should have to choose. I feel like banks or any employer really should come forward and provide structures with the knowledge that the female experience can be different. Um, That confession really resonated with me personally when I was starting out in my career. And when I was in college, I always thought maybe I should settle. Maybe I should just major in like fashion marketing and give it up or like major in English lit and do something else. But I never did. And I do still think of it sometimes or I've had passing thoughts where it's like I do Wall Street confessions and I have like, some random Chad, for lack of a better word, getting upset with me. And I do think that women can have it all as long as they're properly supported.
0: I'm going to read an extended post from Wall Street Confessions. When I first met my husband, he told me he loved me because of my independence and drive. Our relationship thrived through the challenges of college, banking, both of us, business school, him, and law school, me, because we supported and respected each other as equals. We married two years ago and suddenly everything changed. He thinks his time is more valuable than mine because he makes more. He's a few years older than me. When I remind him I'm his wife and deserve a simple text when he's not coming home, he tells me I should be grateful he's still with me when he has means to find someone younger. He can ignore me for weeks while he's traveling for work, but if I don't respond to one message while preparing for litigation, I'm a bad wife, unfit to be a mother. The things he loved about me are now things that he hates about me. Nobody is happier for his success than me, but he expects me to organize my life around his and kiss his And I don't do that because to me, he's just my husband, the goofy boy in my dorm who used to use office hours as an excuse to flirt with me. I finally left last month. I'm mourning the person he used to be, and I'm traumatized by his change in character. People tell me there's a better out there, but I'm well aware that many men still have a problem with women doing just as well, if not better than them. I worry I'll never find the unconditional and unselfish love I felt in my youth. I got to tell you, this this deviates far away from what I imagine your original intention was of putting up Wall Street confessions. This is supposed to be fodder for you know hookup advice and cheeky things about which bars in Lower Manhattan are bridge and tunnel, where you find a Goldman guy, where you find a Morgan Stanley person. This starts to get very deep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that confession in particular, I've seen it come in or something similar come in quite a few times. And when I was posting it, before I was posting it, actually, I texted my friend who is in a scarily similar situation. And I said, hey, is this like your ex-wife? Like, can I post this? Um, And he was like, no. Um, I do think that people see the page as an outlet. And they say a lot of things, some of which I don't publish, uh, just for the sake of like maintaining the brand. But people do use it to vent. And I'm happy that I can kind of stay as that resource.
0: Hmm. There's another poignant one here from uh last year, a kind of a, a a child and father relationship. I've had to work all MDW. What does that stand for? Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend. My dad woke up this morning and asked why one of the kitchen stools was broken. I confessed and told him the stress, sleep deprivation, and Adderall had gotten the best of me, and I kicked over the kitchen stool at 3 a.m. when my Excel started to give me that not responding BS. He just shook his head and walked away, telling me to replace it. He seems to be more concerned about the broken stool than my mental health. It's, I, you know, a lot of parents, and I hear this from contemporaries in investment banking, especially if you're a first-generation college person or you broke through or you were on financial aid in college, they can't understand how getting in a suit and going to a place where you get food brought in at night, you know, you get, you're on an expense account, you're making six figures a year, how something like that can be anything but privileged talk more, especially because you come from a working class existence of kind of this this dichotomy. It's expected that, you know, you could read back at the time of F. Scott Fitzgerald and it was the, the ground of elitists. But especially for someone coming in whose parents can't understand the particular kind of trauma and stress, there's really nowhere to go to.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very common experience. And a lot of people who kind of come here and their kids make it. They don't really understand exactly what their kids are doing. Um, Personally, I work maybe 60, 70 hours a week. My parents just don't get what I do um, and I've accepted it. But I think when you kind of have a charmed life, outfacing or a privileged life, not just parents, but a lot of people like to discount your feelings and your mental health. And they think that money is the end all be all or it's the solution or it should make everything okay, but it's not. I'm lucky that my parents have been relatively understanding in the past as far as like, you know, giving me access to therapy and mental health. But I really feel for the people who don't feel like anyone understands them or anyone cares, really.
0: Hmm. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Re Sharma, the founder and editor and a mastermind behind Wall Street Confessions all over social media. Is, is Instagram your primary means of communication?
1: Instagram is my primary means of communication for Wall Street Confessions. I also do quite well on Twitter at NYC Sad Girl. Mm-hmm. Paris Hilton followed me a few weeks ago. Oh. Very exciting. Paris Hilton follows uh, you. Yeah. Uh
0: where is the threshold where you realize this could be a business on Instagram? I mean, you start crossing 10,000 followers, 20, 30, you get the check mark you're now at above what 110 120,000 followers and you are probably getting overtures and offers to promote something because you have mind share of every investment banker out there, every financial reporter, you have the CEO of Jeffries. you have Paris Hilton on your Twitter account. Uh when did that light bulb go out and and walk me through kind of the first or two one or two experiences of of commercializing this?
1: Yeah, so before Anything. I was still in college. I was a receptionist at a nail spa for like a total of two days. Wait, a receptionist
0: and, at a at a nail spa?
1: Yeah, for like two days. They were hiring, and I was like a freshman, and my parents, like you know, were kind of like, eh, maybe like think about getting a job. So I did. I like walked down the street from my dorm, and I was like, oh, you're hiring. Great. And then I got like a hundred and fifty dollars to post a sunglasses ad on Instagram. And I was like, okay, yeah, sorry, I have to quit. I like have Instagram followers. I didn't actually say that, but um, it, it was one of the reasons. And I was 19 and I would just message every single brand and I'd be like, Hey, would love to work together. But what really motivated me to drop out was like when I was working at Bullish and I was just having sales go through, working in bizdev, making commission. And when I could really talk to big brands on Wall Street Confessions, so like Gemini or like IEX, the like the stock exchange, it really opened a lot of doors for me.
0: And you have to compare this going back to you know the parental advice. I'm I was Iranian born, and my parents would have you know they would forbid. I I let them down by going and taking a Wall Street job right after college. I'm like why don't mm-hmm. you go to law school? It's good for you. Become a doctor, <laughs> right? But in this case, um. You know, I'm curious that you can come back to them and finance stuff, You know, the financials aside, and say, this is potentially, and this is controversial, a better education than maybe two final years in college going through the motions of uh, reading requirement, lab requirement, everything. This kind of threw you right into the cauldron of dealing with banking executives.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have been dealing with investment bankers on a daily basis since I was 19. And I have acquired a wealth of knowledge from that and from being able to get jobs out of doing Wall Street confessions.
0: What has been the biggest deal or the biggest approach that you got from any sort of brand? I mean, do you mind my asking? I mean, you're making a living off just this now?
1: No. So I also work full time as a social media manager at StockTwits. Uh Uh-huh. So that's my day job. But Wall Street Confessions is a big part of my life.
0: Well, how, how much does this have to scale for it to take over your life? You know, we had on the show once... Arnold Kim, who's got editor of Mac Rubers, and I you know he was a nephrologist uh, actually went through medical school and was a kidney doctor twenty years ago and At some point Mac Rubers had done so well and he was making so much on the website that he he calculated he interpolated I could commit fifty hours a week to this or nephrology, and this would be more lucrative
1: yeah, I mean, put a dollar number on it or like a figure, I'd say if I get two fifty a year, I'm done working full time um as long as I'm doing things and I'm adding value and I'm also, you know, continuing to live the life that I live, I see no problem with going full time with something like this.
0: Are you, do you have any employees or are you at the brink of kind of, you know, is there a potential Wall Street Confessions empire in the <laughs> making? Or it can continue to be done with you and your laptop. I'm thinking of Carrie Bradshaw, yeah. right? I'm thinking of Wi Fi and work from home and you're still decidedly anonymous. I mean, people can Google and see your picture, but people will continue to recognize you. I'm I'm sure C N B C and Bloomberg and others have called.
1: Oh, they haven't. Um I'm still waiting on Bloomberg, but
0: Oh, they will after Hopefully. this. Hopefully. So, I mean, here's the deal. It's like you can... Have you, are you on the brink of hiring people?
1: I want an intern so badly. I'm not hiring one until I can afford to pay them what I think I would I would have wanted as an intern. Um, but I do have my agent, Brian, and I do have some other people who help out every now and then. And uh, we're working on some very exciting things.
0: re Sharma of Wall Street Confessions, I want you to... You know, in the in in the final stretch of this interview, if you were brought in by a truly well-meaning investment bank, Mm -hmm. right, and we wanted to create this whole thing from scratch, let's say Deal Flow is where it's at, we're great. You know, New York City comes back. You can control for all of these other things. How would you build the investment bank kind of dynamic from top to bottom from scratch?
1: As far as interpersonal things go, I would just put a lot of focus on having an appropriate amount of staff, having wellness stipends, giving people what they need. and.
0: Well, what's a wellness stipend? I Help mean, me figure out first what a wellness stipend is. Personally,
1: if I had a wellness stipend, I would hope for like $300 a month for my Equinox membership, right? And that can be used as you need it. I would also put focus into bringing coaches in. I think coaches are undervalued, quite frankly. I've talked to Denise Shull, who inspired Wendy Rhodes on Billions. She's so brilliant. So many people could use her perspective. And I would just focus so deeply on people versus cash flow. Because if you have money, you have money. But it, the real thing is making sure that people aren't burning out. And another thing that we haven't really touched upon is I would make sure that HR is friendly towards women. Women have reached out to me and they've told me that HR has screwed them over a million times. One of my close friends went through such a traumatic experience that she shared on the page and, you know, HR gave her settlement. They told her to be quiet and she wasn't allowed to do something about this person who's consistently getting hired at other banks. I think women deserve more than NDAs and settlements and hush money. And HR should act in everyone's best interest, not just banks.
0: Do you have to have a really powerful CEO of one of the top three banks to kind of push this through as a as a woman? Does that glass ceiling have to be broken for this to happen?
1: I don't see gender in this equation. I think that lots of people are very capable. Kathy Wood, Jane Frazier, Sally Krachek. It's all about finding your rhythm. Hmm.
0: Turn it towards uh, the younger people out there who are maybe I don't know. You see them on StockTwits. Some people in their teens in college are following the markets and still have this idea in their head of what a Wall Street job is versus the reality of it. I mean, what are what are some things? Do you get do you get approaches from them? Do you dish out advice? Do you connect them to people who can maybe brace them and prepare them for this process? I remember in my case, I was assigned. A mentor at the investment bank that I worked at who turned out to be a really you know corrupt and abusive person. I mean, you pay a lot of lip service to things like this, but there was precious little time for producers to actually go out there, people who are making money and and take a person under their wing and truly impart like real heartfelt wisdom
1: yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about your experience. Um, When people have messaged me, I've historically just told them to find a mentor on Wall Street Oasis or go look at those forums. I never really like to get too personal uh, because I never want to come from a position of giving advice. Mm. I would say, though, everyone needs a mentor. I'm grateful to have one. Something I want to do with Wall Street Confessions is partner with a service, with a platform or anything really for women where I can redirect, you know, the hundreds of messages I have of women who are scared and alone and don't really know what to do or have to find their footing.
0: Which brings up the question, how do you preserve both anonymity and discretion and and verification? I mean, there's this trust but verify thing going on. It's very difficult for especially people who've been abused to step forward. Uh, There are banks that obviously track emails. They're allowed to text messages if you're using a company phone. You're putting yourself at risk to begin with to, to approach someone like you, but you also can't be played, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I take a strategic approach to verification, which is like if you feel the need to share your LinkedIn and come out, by all means, if you don't feel comfortable saying your name that's also fine. Personally, as the person who edits the confessions, I think moving forward, it's not the healthiest thing to post the names of banks. And I do think that it's almost just the honor system. If you want to come forward, go ahead. If you don't, it has to be plausible.
0: I'm quoting from Wall Street Confessions on Instagram. My managing director calls lower income people, quote, the poors. It's amazing to see bonfire the vanities or Gordon Gecko type behavior persist into 2021. You have to have no sense of self-awareness to to say that around people and, and assume that they'll just laugh it off or say, oh, it's just the way that it works. But it does bring to mind, Re the enormous income inequality that's coming out of this period. I mean, very few people expected Wall Street to be such a beneficiary of the pandemic. Markets originally collapsed in March of 2020 when we were coming to terms with COVID-19. But they have roared back. There are five companies now worth more than a trillion dollars. You've had an IPO boom, uh, an iBanking banking boom, SPACs. I mean, big tech all across the board. And when we come out of this, I think people who have risk assets, real estate, stocks, Bitcoin, everything, are going to be far better off from those who don't. And what will we have learned? You know, the history teacher will say at least the Great Depression brought down all sorts of Americans and 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 retaught humility and and whatnot and. And in this, we're seeing investment banks, you know, wax victorious on conference calls about blowout earnings and nothing really changing. In fact, uh, the conditions and the inequality just exacerbating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would almost look at COVID as like our Marie Antoinette moment as a society where it's like, we went from everything to nothing. Now we're coming back and we're rebuilding for the better. As far as like inequality goes, that comment that that managing director made is unfortunately not uncommon. Um, even Gen Zs in the city would say worse. Uh, But I do think it's quite interesting coming from someone relatively senior.
0: And it's fascinating to me, I know this is a little redundant, to see class commentary within the system, right? Where you're already within it, and you would think, okay, get with the program. And yet, Here's a quote from Wall Street Confessions. Went to a management meeting with my managing director. After a long flight and about three hours before the meeting, he booked a hotel room and made me wait in the lobby while he got ready until the meeting.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that one is just crazy. If I were that person, I probably would have left and said, thank you, but no thank you. Um, It just baffles me that people still do that. But if you look at the comment section, One of the themes is just like, just quit your job. Why are you doing this? Um, And I don't think people will ever quite understand that it's easier said than done to quit. And that even though there is this like inequality, again, it is just kind of going to stay a boys club or it is for right now. And these things persist until they're called out and until they're talked about.
0: We had an anonymous Q&A. It's another post with the head of our department and group. They laughed at our concerns, told us pay wasn't that important, laughed about COVID bonuses, and to just schedule time off of our calendar to quote, run or do dinner with your wife like we do. We had three associates and no analysts for 10 plus senior bankers. I started therapy for the first time. I have had recurring panic dreams. Every day I dream of leaving. I love my direct team. Everything else is the way that I've been treated makes me hate this firm, my life, in this industry. I got in because I loved it. Burn in hell to my management. <sighs> have you have you ever have you ever gotten a post, a verified post, where you were really concerned uh, for the safety, the mental health, the you know self harm or anything that would happen to the person who was posting, where you felt like you needed to intervene?
1: Not verified, but I remember I had a very scary moment when I had like five thousand followers and I was just starting the page, where someone you know, said that they were on the brink of suicide. And I was very young and I had no idea what to do. And I put a call to action out on my story. And I said, if this is you, these are the resources you can use. And there are many captions in which I've put the suicide hotline and which I've advocated for using it because people need it. And when I see a confession like that, if I do decide to post it, I will always have the hotline in the caption or somewhere on the post.
0: Now, Ria, in closing, I have to ask you because you're open about the fact that you're on dating apps and mm-hmm. everything, but anybody who studies you or stalks you on Instagram <laughs> would see what you're mindful about now. So it must be a, a straight, <laughs> I is it? it's uncomfortable to ask you about dating, but you're open about dating. So I want to use it as kind of a window into someone asserting her agency and putting it out there for the world to see what you're an advocate of. And at the same time, poking fun at the kinds of bankers and the pratfalls and the things and, and reasons why I say a banker would ghost you. To the extent you can, and I'm not being offensive, could you open up a window into that experience?
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. I get broken up with every two to three weeks um, for reasons that I love to tell my therapist are not my fault. But one time I got rejected, and the banker told me, it's because you're the me too girl. I Googled you and I was like, oh, I'm the, I'm the girl doing that. Um, And that's just kind of my dating life. I get hit with like, oh, maybe we should have an NDA or like, maybe you shouldn't talk about this. And then other people categorize me. But I think the page shows what I believe in and what I believe in is gender equity and mental health resources and a better life for people.
0: I went on a date with a private equity guy, is another post. He brought one of his branded work vests with him and told me to wear it later back in his place. He also had mirrored wardrobes in front of the bed. I'm pretty sure he was fulfilling some sort of Patrick Bateman fantasy. I didn't even bring up American Psycho. (laughs) I remember I was in New York in 2000. I was like, oh, it's near Christmas or something. I'll see this movie. And I I walked out traumatized. But that is supposed to be complete parody, Um. complete, I mean-
1: It's normal Gordon
0: Gecko on steroids. And the fact that there are people out there, you know, who quote the lines left and right and left and right. and, and, And some of these posts say that there are junior bankers aspiring to Patrick Bateman, American psychotype tendencies. I mean, that's kind of terrifying you.
1: Um, yeah, so I've had a lot of experiences with that. I was actually on a date a few weeks ago and he didn't tell me not to write about him. So I can say this, but, uh, he sat down, he had a white polo on with the Ralph Lauren logo, like Jordan Belfort from Wolf of Wall Street. And he had on these like Warby Parker rounded glasses, like Patrick Bateman and a watch. And he's like, I go to XYZ Ivy League school. Do you know that? And I was like, oh my God, who are you? (laughs)
0: yeah it was insane I want to just in closing read mm-hmm. one one this one just stuck with me because i you know you don't get a chance to post poetry or anything when you're out there. you're slapping together pitch books. maybe you can steal out of the office for a bit to share this with your therapist but I'm quoting from Wall Street Confessions on Instagram. It feels like I'm on a train while life passes me by. Every once in a while, the train stops for a bit and I can step outside to live life a bit. But sooner or later, I'm back on that train, deal, pitch, and telling myself that it will stop again at some point and I can go outside again. I don't know how people live like this. It constantly feels like I'm waiting for things to get better and waiting for the next time I can log off before 12 and not touch my laptop for a full 24 hours on a weekend. Only to get put on something else that tosses me right back on the banking train. Ria, this stuff reads like you know people are locked in this cycle of abuse and they can't seem to feel like they can get out. But I step back from it again and realize that especially if you've been at said bank for a year or two and you've banked away a couple of tens of twenty or thirty thousand dollars, you can indeed step away. There are other options. Elaborate.
1: Sure, there are other options, but I think these people want to stay in it and they think that they can make a really good life for themselves and they think that they have to push through or maybe some of them don't really feel like they have other options. The person who sent that in is a follower and she wasn't anonymous and I've talked with her before. I think it's much easier said than done to be like, just quit because when you're in the moment, you feel like you can't at all from personal experience wow. and from
0: reading. Re Sharma, the founder and mastermind, editor everything, I I all feel like a Swiss Army knife of social media <laughs> consulting and I I mean you're you're a you're a dater, you're a Manhattanite, she's been called the Carrie Bradshaw of finance. Uh, Wall Street Confessions is the Instagram and Twitter. Is there anything else you can share with us uh, kind of to Yeah, scintillate our listeners, stuff that's coming up for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm working on a bunch of stuff that should be announced by quarter four. Uh, I'm very excited. Also, follow me on Twitter at NYC Sad Girl. I post a lot of my stuff on there. That's interesting.
0: Sharma, you've done good. Please come back on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Full disclosure, our engineer, our producer... Our editor on this show is Claire Morgan. We podcast to NPR One, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts at linkfulldradio.com. A hello to our radio listeners up in Arlington, Virginia and Washington DC, down in Asheville, North Carolina. We are in Southern California in Ventura County. We'll be coming soon across Virginia. Holler if you two would like us on your air. On Twitter, I'm at Full D Radio, on Instagram full D Radio, and Facebook.com slash full D Radio. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening. Back with you next week.